0: to top 5 where we're not going to biff, we're not going to bam, we're not going to pow or kaboom. But we are going to tell you about our top 5 non-superhero comics. This is top 5.
1: I reserve the right to biff bang pow.
0: Nope, not in a non-superhero comic. Not allowed. That is so This is an interesting. So here's the thing, and and this uh listeners uh, we get a lot of uh of course, we obviously we cover a lot of comic book stuff on the Major Spoilers podcast and our website, Major Spoilers, and oftentimes in, in this show in and of itself. A lot of times people come and ask us and send me emails saying, Stephen, I would like to get into comics. I love this discussion that you guys are having all the times. Where do I start? That is such a hard thing to answer. Because I always say everybody's comics. Everybody's tastes are different, right? Maybe you like Buffy. Well, there's a Buffy comic out there for you. Maybe you like uh, the Game of Thrones type stuff. Well, there are books out there that are like that. Maybe you do like Superman or Batman or Green Lantern. That's all cool. Maybe you want to get into some, some uh, you like heroes and you'd like to explore the world of, of X-Men. That's all That's all great. But really, I think when it comes to comic book recommendations, a lot of it has to, to do with starting with what interests you and then going from there. Because if I have an idea of, What interests you? What things you're into? Like if Rodrigo came up to me one day and he's never a comic book reader in his life and he said, I really like dinosaurs, I would say, oh, my God, Rodrigo, there is a comic book called Age of Reptiles that you will absolutely adore. And so that's how Rodrigo could get started with reading comic books. So somebody wrote into us and said, hey, could you do, I I would really like to get into comic books, but I'm not really into the capes and tights stuff. Could you recommend some non-superhero comics that I would enjoy? and do that as a top five. So with that in mind, we're sharing our top five non-superhero comics. Uh, your mileage may vary, as Matthew is uh, off to say. That's mm, Yes. So, uh, Matthew, why don't you start with your number five this week?
1: All right, I will. My number five is actually the most almost superhero-y of my non-superhero comic choices. And the problem that I had is when I think about, hey, What's my favorite non-superhero comic of all time? My brain goes, hey, Normal Man, which is kind of the opposite of that. And then I thought, hey, Cerebus. And I'm like, no, that's kind of a superhero book, too. But the most superhero-y of the non-superhero books that I have chosen is a book that came out actually as part of an imprint that DC did, which was kind of a weird sort of forward-thinking sci-fi imprint called Helix. And of course, Helix was kind of a schmagecky, and Helix went under within maybe a year. But this particular title actually migrated from Helix over to the Vertigo imprint, and I think went like 70 issues. It's the story of a future world that's coming, 27 minutes into the future, and a man who is clearly not Hunter S. Thompson. No, no, no. He is Spider Jerusalem, renegade journalist of the future. And in the first few arcs, it seems like it's just this wacky, happy-go-lucky cyberpunk adventure where people say outrageous things, you know, like you do in a Warren Ellis book. But then it starts turning really weird and it gets full of intrigue and serious political stuff. Not, you know, not just the normal Warren Ellis point and laugh, but some deep philosophical stuff happens in the course of the 60-odd issues of Transmetropolitan. So when I try to tell people, if I know somebody's over 21 and I know that they're into weird kind of funky stuff, if they're into kind of a a counter-cultural thought process, this is a good place to start for me because it's a really solid story being told. Got some lovely art by Derek Robertson, who used to draw new warriors. And it does have something that most comic books don't in that it does have a, an undercurrent of sex. And by that, I mean that the undercurrent is almost, but not quite realistic sex to where sometimes it's gross and painful and awful. So that's a selling point right there, which is why my number five trans metropolitan from DC slash vertigo comics.
0: And we did uh, read that. If you want to hear a more in-depth review, I think we did volume one Mm -hmm. uh, over on the major spoilers podcast, like, a decade ago, you can go fish around over at Majorspoilers.com and find that if you want some more information. In fact, I would say that more than likely you will find a lot of information about all of these books at Majorspoilers.com if you just use the search engine.
2: So, If you read more about it. Mm-hmm. Rodrigo, mm-hmm. what do you have for number five? My number five is also, like Matthews, probably the most superhero-y, non-superhero book in my list. I think it really skirts the the edge of that. Um, And that's Hellboy. Mm -hmm. And um, mostly Hellboy is a book about kind of a paranormal investigator. But that paranormal investigator happens to himself be a demon who hangs out with a fish and sometimes a golem and sometimes a disembodied ghost in a suit, a fire girl, you name it. He's got lots of friends. Mm -hmm. Um, Also a bunch of normal people. Uh, but uh, so Hellboy has always has been a favorite of mine for a long time. It's just kind of this weird disjointed storyteller storytelling that, you know, in the long view tends to come together. Um, the series jumps back and forth in time periods from, you know, World War Two to the present, whatever that is, to the 60s to the 80s. Um, and you kind of get to see Hellboy, um, deal with different stuff. You get to see who is still around, who's gone away, and you don't get to see what happened to them until later stories cover that, which is always very interesting. The, the only constant is Hellboy, um, unless you, you know, strike out on, on a different direction and follow the BPRD stuff in which Hellboy crosses into, but then it becomes about the organization, right? Um, it's, you know, I've read stuff by Mike Mignola that talks about, you know, what he, why he started doing Hellboy. And it's basically, he just wanted to write and draw the things that he was interested in. So Hellboy is this huge hodgepodge of technology, mythology, um, the Cthulhu mythos, basically a little bit of everything just, uh, essentially squished together into a very, uh, interesting and engaging package. Excellent. Uh, My number five
0: is Rassel, R-A-S-L from Jeff Smith. Uh, This is a book about coping with loss. That's kind of the biggest message in it. But it's all wrapped around a guy who jumps through dimensions, stealing art and selling it in other dimensions. And then he's being chased by a bunch of science people who want his technology. And it gets really intense. And it's only, I want to say, like 12 issues long. It's something that's very self-contained. So you can go out and find it very easily at your uh, local bookstore or your comic shop or uh, through our link at Amazon.com. But it is a fantastic uh, story. It is black and white, although I do think that there is a color edition that was out there. But if you like Bone, this is a little bit different than Bone as far as the storytelling goes. But it's still fantastic, and it will get you scratching your head a lot going, what's going on? And then finally you're going, oh, that's going on. It's wrestle from Jeff Smith. It's my number five rest yep hey let's you and me wrestle what do you have for number four matthew
1: my name's chloe my number four is actually the most recent book on my list it's one that i bought issue one almost on a dare because there used to be a thing in the comic shop that i worked in where people would get really snotty about what they did and didn't like and they'd be like yeah well i bet you won't read that thing I'm like why wouldn't I? They're like, "Well, it's all weird and pink and silly." I'm like, "Well, okay, I'll I'll check it out." So I read Sex Criminals number no. 1 from Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. And it was pretty amazing. It was a solid weird quasi-science fiction concept that really clicked with that very first issue. Everything that I really wanted was there and things that I didn't expect To Be There, We're There, there's actually a really sweet kind of romance in and around all the weird, weird, terrible, goopy sex stuff. It does have a title that makes it hard to recommend to people, because if you say to somebody, hey, I want you to read this book, what's it called? Uh, Sex Criminals. You do occasionally get kind of a look. But once you get past that, and the title actually is literally separate phonetics So the two things are separate. They are criminals. They have sex. But from that point, it goes to really interesting places. And it does have a very personal feel. There's at least one anecdote that's incredibly embarrassing that apparently is an anecdote that happened to Matt Fraction's wife, Kelly Sue So it's a very personal, very in-depth book about maybe some weird emotions and thought processes. And there's uh, half an issue that's entirely about what it's like to be on antidepressants. And the thing is it works. It's a thousand times more entertaining than my explanation could ever make it sound, which is why my number four sex criminals right now, I think there are 13 issues out. Uh, it's a monthly from image comics and I, it
2: comes highly recommended.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very good. It's very interesting.
2: Yeah. Uh, Rodrigo, what do you have for number four? My number four, sorry about that, I had my mic muted. No, that's all right. Uh, my, my number four is a comic written by Spaniards for a largely French market, which we don't get into in the United States for like a year and a half after it comes out if we're lucky, but it's worth it because it's a giant volume of beautifully drawn anthropomorphic animals chasing after each other in grungy streets. Now, I'm talking about Black Sad. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Black Sad is a fantastic book in every way. The art is great. The stories are great. It's also fantastic because it, it takes place in the United States in a, like, 1940s, 1950s right. um, United States-like country of anthropomorphic animals. So it's also great to see the U.S. through the lens of people who don't live in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like the Arctic nation storyline was, was really interesting to me when you sit down and think about the fact that that was written by people who aren't Americans. Um, but uh, yeah, the main character is a black cat. Um, he wears a cool trench coat and he's an investigator. He's got some problems, you know, dames, um, guns, gangsters, all kinds of stuff. Um, he's got his little, uh, like, uh, informants and stuff. He's a private investigator. He didn't need to be a cat, but he is. And it's great. Um, <laughs> you know, just all of the, all of the anthropomorphic animal stuff is really great. Like, it's just really fantastic. It has this real, like, what if, what if Disney had said, you know what, from here on out, all of our, like, you know what the, it's like a universe in which the black cauldron was a huge success and disney was like let's not make stuff for kids anymore you know like that's what black sad looks like yeah, yeah. so i'd really recommend it if you want to take a glimpse of that uh, at that alternate universe yeah definitely it's a it's a
0: noir you know if you like noir detective stuff you're definitely going to like black sad and you're probably going to like my number 4 the fade out now this one is um gosh now it's my mind who who's uh, working on this one uh is it Ellis and no, I'll have to look here in a moment, but essentially if you like um, uh, LA confidential, I think you're like the fade out. This is a story about a young actress who is murdered and the writer who starts to go down the rabbit hole of finding out who murdered her. It's set against the backdrop of the, um, of, of writers and actors being blacklisted in Hollywood. It's, It's deep, it's adult, and uh, very mature. But like I said, if you like those kind of tales, then you're going to want to check out uh, The Fade Out um, from Image Comics. And it's just, it is uh, fantastic. And it's got the first, I want to say the second trade is out already. Uh, But it's definitely something you should uh, go check out. It's by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. And I like it. It's my number four. Nice. Matthew, what do you have for number three? My goodness, we're already up to number three. Number three.
1: Like so many of the books that I've been kind of sort of bouncing up against, this one comes from a specific time period in my life where I was commuting 45 minutes to a nearby city to work in a call center where I had downtime. And so we would go to the library, which happened to be the library near the University of Kansas, that had a lot of stuff and specifically a lot of graphic novel content. And at the time, this would have been roughly 19, no, actually around 2003, maybe. I don't know. It would have been sometime in the last 50 years. I had been aware for a very long time of this series. Uh, Otter Disaster was a big fan of it when we lived together in the 90s. But I never sat down and read it until I accidentally grabbed a stack of books. And one of them included The Blood of Palomar, which is one of the collected editions of Love and Rockets. Uh, by Jaime and Hilberto Hernandez, the Hernandez brothers. I believe their brother Mario is in there too, but I don't know what Mario does. So in any case, I read this collected thing and was just flummoxed, absolutely stunned by how deep it was and how really amazing a read the story was. And so I went back to see what other Love and Rockets they had, and it turned out they had damn near all of it. So I... Took them out a little bit at a time, and I read them. And it's it's fascinating not only to read just as a narrative, but to see these creators, these young creators, really come into their own voices. If you read the first volume, there's these stories that are kind of influenced by the comics of the 70s and 80s and feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe might have a futuristic sort of superhero vibe to them. And then they're like, eh, no, we're not going to do that anymore. And it sort of transitions into this more slice of life sort of storytelling that's just amazing. And When it gets to the point where Gilberto is telling the stories of the city of Palomar, you, it's incredibly engrossing. It's really amazing. I highly recommend this book, too. This is another one where I say you probably want to be 18 plus because there, there is sex in it. There is a lot of dealing with racial and class issues in it
0: mm-hmm.
1: that – I think it's definitely something that people need to read, but I also think you need to have a little bit of sophistication on board before you try to read it because there's deep stuff going on here. And more importantly, if you go on the internet, you will find lots of pinup art of one character, Luba. And you're like, oh, no, it's another, oh, she's a pinup character. And you go and you read the stories of Luba. This is the most tragic character I have ever read. And this woman has gone through so much and it's so amazing to read these stories and feel like she feels like a real person. That's what's most amazing about Love and Rockets. And that's why I would say definitely it's worth your time. And it hit my number three on my list of magical, awesome non-superhero stuff.
0: Cool. Uh, Rodrigo, please enlighten us with your number three.
2: Uh, My number three. So I am like, very picky about fantasy stuff. Um, basically, if I start seeing too many things that I've seen before, I'm like, "Well, this looks, I don't know, tropish, or you know, it's like uh, it, it has to have something new and something different, or start going in different directions for me to be interested." Um, and uh, for example, even something like um, Autumn Lands, for example, like it's still very like standard magic stuff but it has a lot of other items autumn is not my number three my number three is saga Mm. that's uh uh, brian k vaughn and fiona staples Mm -hmm. i believe yep Mm -hmm. um it is a story of cosmic love and not just romantic love but familial love Um, it is weird. It is science fiction and fantasy at the same time. It is, it has everything like it is a book that somehow manages to simultaneously do, um, kind of nitty gritty sci-fi things. Um, and then also have that big lyrical, like here's a planet that is in a war with its moon kind of thing and it's like things that sound very poetic when you take a step back and then when you take a step in you see a gerbil person explode right (laughs) like saga gives you both of those things (laughs) um absolutely so you know saga definitely my number three i just picked up the fifth volume which i believe came out uh maybe a couple weeks ago um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to sitting down and reading the fourth volume because my move kind of got in the way of that and then reading that fifth volume. Cool. Excellent. Uh, my number three
0: is actually a couple of comics, uh, from one publisher and it's Archie comics. And there are two that I, that I really find fascinating right now. The first one is afterlife from Archie by Francesco Francavilla and Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa. Um, it is. What would happen if a zombie apocalypse happened in Riverdale? And what would happen to your Archie gang? The thing to keep in mind about this one is it is not drawn in the Archie House style. It is definitely drawn in the uh, Francesco Francovia art style, which is fantastic. And it doesn't. Uh, it's not afraid to hide behind um, kid-friendly stuff. This is definitely grown-up monster horror stuff, and it is fantastic. If you want to read Archie without the zombies in it, I would recommend that you pick up Archie by Mark Wade and Fiona Staples, who did the art for the first three issues. Then Annie Wu and uh, forget the the other person's name doing the art on issues four and five came out a couple of uh, months ago. I think issue five probably is out right about now that you're listening to this. Um, but this is Archie comics the way you want to read Archie comics, and it's not jokey, ha ha, slapstick kind of stuff that you expect and that you've probably grown up with and seen it's much more mature. It still is kind of in the uh, teenage romance uh, drama television show that you might see, but it's so well-written and the art is so fantastic. I had to combine both of those two together because when you say Archie comics, people instantly think of silliness. That's not what these two books are. So those are my number three, Archie and afterlife with Archie from Archie comics, Archie, Archie, Archie. Let's get to number two.
1: Archie, Archie,
0: Archie. Number two, Matthew.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want me to go? Yes, I
0: said, let's get to number twos.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. Oh, snap. Was that a burn? No. I said, let's oh. get.
0: Th- I did say that. I said, let's get to our number twos. <laughs> and then Matthew kept saying Archie, Archie, Archie. So.
1: Well, you, you, you frightened me. You startled me by saying Burma. My number two is actually the first thing that I had run into by a creator Who I now trust on sight, and that is something that a lot of people don't get. There are artists and writers that I love to death who I do not trust on sight. John Byrne, Howard Chaykin, I have to go in with a little bit of trepidation. I have to say to myself, "Okay, Peter, David, are we on the same page with this one or not?" So when it comes to trusting a writer, I think that. In this case, it all leads back to 128 pages from the 1990s about a man whom I I, I feel like I know and I feel like I may actually kind of resemble in many ways. Cowboy Wally. The Cowboy Wally show is uh, the work of Kyle Baker. And apparently, Kyle Baker tells the story that he went with a few strips of the Cowboy Wally character and they said, hey, you got any more of this? And he lied and said, yep. And then went home and wrote the Cowboy Wally Show graphic novel, and it is basically the story of a washed-up TV cowboy who is just basically trying to make his way in life. He's trying to make TV, he's trying to make movies, he's trying to make money, frankly. But it is the the origination point of something that you will hear me say and or tweet regularly. Wooshman Bicarbonate Films presents, but it's also. A really good satirical look at fame and in some ways a look at comic books. But more than anything, if you look at it from a modern lens, it kind of explains why there's so many reality TV shows and why there's so many schmucks who are willing to go on them and and kind of make fools of themselves in the hopes that somehow they're going to be famous and awesome. So if you want to read 128 pages of that with a a fat guy who's probably cheating somebody, then I highly recommend you check out Kyle Baker's The Cowboy Wally Show. I can't remember if we ever did review it, but I kept saying we should, and you said nope. Yep. We totally should. It's a good book.
0: Rodrigo. what do you have for your
2: number two? Let's see. Uh, we did that with a cat, ma, cat guy. Oh, okay. So my number two is um, a book that you can get in one enormous brick-like edition. And I would actually recommend that. Um, it is. We already talked about Jeff Smith yep. with Rassel. But this is kind of what really... Uh, put Jeff Smith on the map and then push the map off the table and then people were like, oh no, where's my map? It's too... It's lost completely because Jeff Smith's bone is too gigantic and amazing. Stupid map. I don't care about it anymore. <laughs> that's what people said. This is that's like... Not, that's that's a exactly wizard magazine. That's just like the cover of one wizard magazine. Just like them freaking out about a map. <laughs> that's That's what bone is. Bone is the story of... Uh, these bones who are these little um, round cartoony looking guys who get lost and end up somewhere else. They end up in a v- kind of photorealistic uh, background village uh, populated by um, people that look m- like basically the bones look like 1940s Disney stuff. The people that are around them look like Bluth animation people. If that makes any sense to anyone, it does. Yeah. Um, that's, that's probably the best way that I can put it as far as the distinction of that. And, uh, it starts out pretty funny and then becomes an incredible fantasy epic. It's like so much of bone is like, Oh, one of them dresses up like a cow. And then like, and so much of bone is like slapstick stuff with monsters. But so much more of it is just this, like, huge story. This huge story with so many legs and and parts and, and, and things that kind and of...
0: Stupid rat creatures. Stupid,
2: stupid rat stupid creatures. Stupid rat creatures. You know, there's, like, an enormous uh, mountain lion and the dragons and the ghost circles and the stick eaters Rook. and all of Rook. these people. Ja. And there's just... Yeah, there's just so much to it and... So much of it seems so goofy, but that is just, like, I mean, throughout this entire book, it's just kind of Jeff Smith being, like, basically doing that thing that, like, photographers do with, like, kids. Where they, like, hold up something that's, like, jingly and, and bright for them to look at it. Except instead of them taking a picture of you, he punches you in the face. Wait, that's like,
0: not how you're supposed to take pictures with kids? <laughs>
2: It does explain why it does explain why everybody in your family looks like raccoons and all, their, and all their family pictures in any case, yes, I would strongly recommend Bone to anybody who a wants to get into comics but isn't into superheroes and b wants to I don't know weigh down a uh their truck in the winter, yes. like the bed of their truck, just like throw it in the back. It is the size of a phone book, if you remember what a phone book is.
1: Yeah, no, it is that. Oh, oh, that. Tell us about
0: them. Uh, back in the day, Matthew, people used to have to open up a book that would have a listing of all phone numbers in their city or area. Sometimes it would have listings for restaurants. Sometimes it would have listings for, pe- for plumbers. Interestingly, pizza would never be under P. It was always under R.
1: Well, that's stupid, Grandpa. I
0: know, right? So that we ditched it all away, and now we press 411 on our cell phones. We ask for the number to be connected, and they charge us 32 cents per call. My number two is, I didn't realize how many kind of serious slash horror books were on my list, but my number two is definitely a horror book. It's written by Joe Hill, who is the son of Stephen King. It's got fantastic art from Gabriel Rodriguez, and it is one of the best books I have ever read. It's the lock and key series. It's concluded. So, you know, when going in that it's not an ongoing thing, you're not going to have to invest, you know, your next 20 years of reading this book. Although you'll probably want to read the book again and again and again over the next 20 years, because it's that good. Start with volume one. Every volume follows the previous. It is about a strange, uh, house and the locks, um, these little keys that the lock family finds and the things that they can do to your body, and to your head, and to your community. And then Evil shows up. And it is, like I said, fantastic. And the art will just blow your mind. But, again, if you're familiar with Joe Hill or Stephen King's work, you know it also gets a little bloody, a little disturbing. And there's a lot of that in Lock and Key. But that is my number two. Go check it out. We've done five. We've done four, three, and two. I guess that means we are ready for our number ones.
1: Number one.
0: (laughs) Matthew, what do you have for your number one this week?
1: My number one is a book that technically may put the lie to my expectation that number five is my most superhero-y book. But stick with me. My story gets better. It not only piloted one of the most successful sub-imprints of one of the largest comic book companies, it did so by actually pre-existing before that imprint ever came around.
0: Wait, it's it was, a comic book that in, that existed before the comic book even was out? Right. What sorcery is this?
1: It's a book that when I was 17 years old, my friends and I used to duck out on the last hour or so of school. We used to tell people that we were part of the Lawrence Welk fan club and that we had our scheduled meeting. And we would get in my friend's uh, Dodge Valiant, and we would drive the 30 miles to Hayes, Kansas, the largest metropolis in the area, oh, so which by the way, childhood. Eh, it's okay. It's cool. And we would go to Tattered Covers, which uh, used to be down in a nice area of town <laughs> by the railroad tracks. And I, the first time we went there, I bought this book off the stands. Issue number one of Hellblazer. Now Hellblazer is a book that takes place or originally took place in the DC universe with the Supermans and the Batmans and the like that. But they're not in this book. They're not part of this book. This book from 1988 to 1991 was a DC title. And then in 1992, they said, you know what we should totally do? We should, we should make a whole bunch of books like this. So they took this book and Swamp Thing and Animal Man and they created Vertigo. And the Vertigo imprint was basically where you put the weird, kind of crazy, maybe kind of arcane, freaky deaky books. And Hellblazer was the only book that actually lasted to pretty much the end of Vertigo. It lasted until 2011 when the New 52 reset pretty much everything. But over 300 issues of Hellblazer, what we basically got was the story of a guy from Liverpool... Who was a jerk, who was a user, who was abusive, who would do anything for power and glory, including sacrifice his friends. And about every 15, 20 issues, we'd get a new writer who'd come in, and that new writer would bring a new batch of friends, and then they would all die. But if you actually sit down and read it, which, by the way, I recommend, it's the story told basically real time. So the character ages 25 years in the 25 years of story. Of a guy realizing that he's never going to be as awesome as he thought he was going to be. And it's really well done. It's full of political commentary. Um, it started in the middle of uh, Thatcher's England and was written by British people. So that should tell you there's a lot of that going on. There's social commentary in it. There's, you know, really touching stuff. There's really terrible stuff. There's a few issues that I don't recommend because they are just flat out gross. And when I say they are gross, I want you to understand, I watched Friday the 13th when I was 11 years old, so I know from gross. Um, but if you get a chance to read those original Hellblazer stories from guys, oh, I don't know, names you may have heard of, like Garth Ennis, Warren Ellis, Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman, Jamie Delano, Peter Milligan, all of the weirdos of comics now probably cut some teeth on Hellblazer, And I think that the overall effect makes it clearly my number one, most awesomest non superhero comic in the world of the world. That is the world.
0: Excellent. It is a good series. It's really long.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: they got a bunch of collected uh, trades out there. There are some really mm-hmm. good ones. The one where he, uh, he's got a trick, the devil to get rid of his cancer. That's a really fantastic one. Yeah. Multiple levels. M- mm-hmm. Uh, I would go recommend checking out that one. And then, uh, See other one. I think the first the first volume is actually really good too because it gets in some really weird areas. But
1: yeah, yeah. The first the first two volumes of it actually are my favorite because I really enjoy early installment weirdness and I like the fact that a lot of what we know to be true about the character wasn't set in stone yet, so it was really strange. Cool.
0: All right, that is Matthews number one. It is time for Rodrigo's number one.
2: All right. My number one is a book about dinosaurs. What? That's right. You might say, "Well, that sucks because Steven sorry. may have may have spoiled <laughs> Rodrigo's number one and that's bad." Oh well. But he didn't. He didn't oh, spoil my number one good. because in a surprise twist my number one comic about uh, or non-superhero comic is not Age of Reptiles colon Tribal Warfare, which is a great comic. I am taking this time to talk about it um, in kind of like an Academy Award sort of way. is like, this is an issue that is important to me. Also, blah, blah, blah. Thank you for this award. <laughs> but no, my number one comic that you listeners should read that is not about superheroes, is gone. G O N. Yep. Gone. Gone. It is a comic about a tiny surly dinosaur. <sighs> that tiny surly dinosaur makes his way across various landscapes and basically antagonizes animals and befriends animals seemingly arbitrarily. Like, um,. And 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 the book really kind of points to that. Uh, Gon it, like will befriend one group of animals and then will defend them against a predator, like v- incredibly violently. And and Gon is a tiny dinosaur, but he's super strong and super tough and basically indestructible. Uh, but when then the book will follow that predator that Gon vanquished, and then you'll see that it like. It's a mom, and she has babies, and they're starving. It's like, why are you doing this to me, book?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah,
2: go and beat up, beat up that lion. And It's like, oh, now all the lion cubs are hungry. It's like, (laughs) why? (laughs) What are you, what are you getting at, book? And it gets at nothing because nobody talks. There's no dialogue. Yeah, it's just a tiny, surly, judging from the cover, orange dinosaur. Having adventures, beating up other animals, being hilarious, being cute, being mean. And that is what the comic is about, I think.
0: Yeah, because there's no uh, dialogue.
2: There's no dialogue. Yeah. Very cool. Go
0: check out Gone. We've also reviewed that on a major spoilers podcast episode way back in the long ago time. My number one is probably the best non superhero comic you can go find. It has action, it has adventure, mm-hmm. and it has science. science.
1: Science!
0: It also has Atomic Robo, which is the title of the book. Atomic Robo, he is an action scientist, and he and his gang of uh, action, scientists, action scientists yep go out <laughs> and fight uh, the ghost of Thomas Edison. They uh, prevent uh, monsters from attacking the city. And they uh, try to keep uh, government conspiracies at bay. Also, uh, Atomic Robo gets left on Mars, and he writes an evil message to uh, to the guy in the wheelchair,
2: Stephen Hawking. Ste-
0: Stephen Hawking. So there you go. It's got <laughs> everything Chelsea that Dager. you wanted. It. It's it got H.P. Lovecraft references in it. It's got science in it. It's I mean, it has got everything you could want, and it is fantastic. It's by Scott Wegner and Brian Clevenger. The thing is, it used to be just a print publication only. Then they had some issues with their publisher and thought it would be best if they acquired the rights back themselves. And now they have all of the issues, the entire, I want to say, five volumes, are currently available online for free at Atomic. I think it's Atomic-Robo. Just do a search for Atomic-Robo. You'll find it. Uh, but they now are collecting those webcomics. The series is still ongoing. They're taking the new webcomics, and they're putting them out in print from IDW Publishing. I can't get enough of this of this series. It's fantastic, and it's free. That's the other best thing. If you don't want to pay for it, just go to their website, read it on, uh, I think it comes out three times a week. Just go read it. It's fun. It's exciting. It's got some great art, got great comedy, got some great action, and no superheroes. It's Atomic Robo. That is my number one. So there we have it. Uh, Everybody has five comics. I was expecting a few more uh, crossovers. I uh, almost had Bone on my list. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I, uh, Uh, I almost had, uh, that one thing. Which one was that? Saga? Yes. Thank you.
0: Saga came up. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really good. And I would recommend if you guys, I think Matthew and I did this over at our members, uh, site members.majorspoilers.com. Matthew Mm -hmm. and I had a really long discussion, uh, a while ago about what makes a superhero. What defines a superhero? And if you are a Major Spoilers VIP, you can go over and listen into the bonus track section, and you should find that discussion. Um, It's really cool. It's very much worth your time. And uh, if you like it, well, the only way you can get it is by becoming a Major Spoilers VIP. A small monthly contribution, $2 a month, gets you a slew of stuff over at Majorspoilers.com. Of course, if you want to pay a little bit more, you do get a little bit more. You can find out more at members.majorspoilers.com. I would love for each and every one of you to sign up, help us out, and you could proudly walk around your house, your neighborhood, your city, and say, I'm a major spoilers VIP. I'm making a difference. Because you'll be right.
1: Major spoilers.
0: So the next thing that you need to do is you need to go over to the podcast posting page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You'll find it there on your mobile device. You can just tap on it and it will take you to the site. But head over to the uh, podcast posting page at Majorspoilers.com, and I want to know if you are already into comic books, which I know many of you are, what are your top five non-superhero comics? Use the comment section, fill it out, let us know. We enjoy reading them, and for people who are looking for other non-superhero comic books, you might be starting a great reference of titles for people to go check out. Rodrigo, anything else?
2: Okay, so what about that series in which The Thing is, it like, in a different planet? Right. Like, the Thing is a superhero, technically, really? but it's not a superhero comic. Is that a superhero comic? I think it would be a superhero comic. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, I think are
0: saying. Okay, right, wait. Everybody. What about Jimmy Olsen? Superhero comic. Jimmy Olsen? Yep. Jimmy Olsen's superhero comic. Jimmy because Super, Superman always has to come and save his ass.
2: Yeah, I can see that. So something like, uh, well, something like Damage Control, right? It's obviously, still a superhero comic. Yeah, it
0: has superhero comic in it.
2: Yeah, right, right.
0: So, but you know, something like maybe Sherlock Holmes, the Seven Percent Solution, would probably qualify as. Well, oh, that's still a superhero comic. comic. Sherlock yeah.
1: Holmes has superpowers.
0: No, he doesn't have superpowers.
1: He has a distinctive costume. He has a, <laughs> <laughs> he has a pro-social agenda. He
2: has abilities and skills beyond those of normal men. He does he does disappear until he's ne- he's needed. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Because he's
0: shooting heroin of, up yeah, in except, his room. Instead, yeah, instead of
2: That's uh, the source of his powers. Yeah, and also a, 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 his kryptonite. Shooting heroin. All
0: right everybody. Take care and uh, we'll be back next time because everybody loves a list. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.